You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What is up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of the show. As always, thank you very much for tuning in. I appreciate you. Just a couple little notes before we jump into this episode. The first being, I've noticed a really interesting trend lately. So, as you probably are aware by now, and if you're not, you're about to be aware, I have a few different affiliate links with a few different companies, and when you purchase gear by using those links, you literally are helping me out. So if you're going to be buying stuff anyway, if you could go to ToneMob.com Sweetwater for any of your Sweetwater purchasing needs, or ToneMob.com Reverb for any of your Reverb.com purchasing needs, or now I've got a new one set up that we're trying out, ToneMob.com Stringjoy. And we're doing a little testing with that one. So if you plan on purchasing any Stringjoy guitar strings or bass strings in the near future, you can go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will help us out and help us try to get this program off the ground. But the trend I was noticing was most apparent on the Sweetwater link. Now, I can't see who buys what, and I don't know anything about the people. That's all, that's all hidden from me. But I can see what was purchased and when it was purchased. And... There's been a really interesting trend in recording gear. People are buying more and more recording gear. It used to be primarily guitar things, which is understandable. But lately, it's been a lot of recording gear. And that makes me very excited because it feels like maybe people are getting inspired and wanting to create. And I think that's awesome. And if you, if that's you, um, please share it with me. You can shoot it to me in email or message form. Post it in the Facebook group, all that jazz. Uh, I can't get to everything, but I do my best to get back to everybody, and I'd love to see what you're creating. So thank you to everyone who is using that link, and thank you to everyone who is making music out there. That's what it's all about. And uh, one last note is, I think I talked about this on the last episode, uh, the American Cyclops record that I did is up for a vinyl pre-order, so... The first 120 copies will be signed by me. Why 120? Because that is the minimum I need to sell in order to break even on it. So that is just the deal with the pressing plant that I am working with. And they will be on purple vinyl. It's a full 12-inch. It's all a legit, well-done, high-quality piece. And yeah, you can find all that information at tonemob.com slash store. And if you want to hear the record before making the purchase, go back a few episodes in this podcast stream and you can stream it. It's called Tom, Do You Have Anything Sharp on You? I've talked about it a million times and a lot of you have listened to it and a lot of you have messaged me about it and it means the world and I'm working on more. So yeah. All right. That's probably enough rambling for this intro. Let's get reacquainted with my buddy Tom Kogut. It's been a long time since we talked, and, you know, we're just so, so far overdue. We learn about what he's been up to. We learn about BMX. We learn about all kinds of things on this one. So this is a, a wild ride. If you want to know more about Tom, go way back in the feed to his first episode, and that will set the story. This is more like two good buddies catching up after a really long time. So here you go. Here's an episode with my dude, Tom, from Tomcat Pedals. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff, sometimes, 
once in a while. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Tom Kogut from Tomcat Pedals. It's been a long time, man. Yes, it's been quite a long time, over five years, I think, so. Yeah, that's crazy. That is that is so insane. I was actually going to, I forgot to do it, but I'm doing it right now. Oh, now. Wow, I just turned into a complete redneck there for a second. Uh, I was going to see, yes, episode 19 was you. Oh, my and, gosh. Yeah, and we're on like 230-something now. So, well, good job, Blake. You did it. I did, I did something. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but, but I definitely did it. Um, but man, it's good to, good to get back in touch. And I, like we were talking about off the air for just a minute, last time we actually spoke, we've, we've pinged each other on the internet a time or two. The last time we actually spoke was at the Fear the Riff Expo. Yeah. I think that was the first one that they did. I can't remember if it was the first or the second one where you, I am. Um, Man, even that was it would have been quite a long time ago at this yeah. point. Yeah, twenty seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, no. yeah. Um, man, it's it's weird how time flies. I just had uh, Josh Scott on again. He was on episode ten, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah, and uh, it's a throwback it was, series. Yeah, we're just doing this whole thing of revisiting past guests and seeing what they're up to now. So, what are you up to now? Oh my gosh, I've been up to so much stuff in the past few years. Um, I don't live in New York anymore. So that's a big thing, I guess. Uh, it is a big thing. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So I at? moved to New Jersey. Okay. Okay. Yeah. My, uh, my girlfriend and I, we bought a house. So I guess that's like an adult thing, right? Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. That's what I'm led to believe. Yeah. I just, I didn't, the way that things were going in the city, it, there wasn't a real good reason for me to stay there other than the fact that I wanted to spend a bunch of money to live there. Mm -hmm. So the trade-off wasn't really worth it. And I figured I could do what I'm doing from anywhere, right? So so why not New Jersey? Yeah. So she had family there, so we're still close to her family. And we're only actually like 20 minutes from Manhattan, so oh, it's, it's still big. close by. You're basically there. It's kind of the same with me in Portland. Like I'm, I'm, I'm 20. Well, it depends on traffic, but right, yeah, yeah. But I'm. But close. I mean, like from from my street, I can see like the Empire State Building and stuff. So it probably still kind of feels like you're there. I would think. Um, the the neighbors are definitely different. <laughs> um, what kind of different? <laughs> um, you know, a lot, a lot older, more reserved. Gotcha. Yeah. They don't like the young kids coming in and messing up their street. Are you messing up the street? <laughs> you Are you being a terror? No, I think it's surprising because my, we moved in and we're like really good homeowners where we like, you know, want to keep things looking nice and everything. So I think they're upset because they can't complain about us. <laughs> they, they have no nothing to gossip over now. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I moved out here. Um, I moved all of my pedal workshop stuff into my basement. Okay, perfect. So um, my office is pretty close by now. Back when we first talked, I think you were doing some tattoo stuff also at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you still doing uh, that? 
Well, let's see. I um, I actually took a little bit of a break from pedal world in general. Uh, around the time we moved, like a lot of things were going on and stuff. So I kind of freaked out and was like, oh, I should get like a real job. Not that guitar pedals isn't a real job, but, you know, I, I just thought that I should do something that would maybe like have insurance and like adult stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got an office job and, uh, I worked for an LED company that makes LEDs for like signage and architectural lighting and stuff. And so I was doing that and I was in charge of like these big projects where the lights change color. And uh, one big job that we had was with the Microsoft stores Mm -hmm. where we were retrofitting like the overhead lighting to be able to like change colors and do all this crazy stuff. Um. But I, I honestly, I, I'm not cut out for that office day job lifestyle, Blake. I just couldn't do it. I, um, I understand. <laughs> I understand completely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I held on to that for for two years, and and uh, actually, just like last month, I I quit, and I'm back to pedals full time now. Nice. But yeah, it was just it's just tough, man. It's like doing the same thing every day. You know, for people that don't necessarily like really appreciate it, it's not it's not that good of a thing. That's interesting that that is where you ended up, because one of the main things I remember from our first interview is on top of all the pedal stuff, you were talking about how you were in charge of or helped rather on these big art installation projects that involve a lot of programming and leds and you know, yeah yeah like yeah that. so i didn't know that uh your well your former day job actually kind of was in the same ballpark were you kind of were you working with the same things um it was actually yeah it was, it was ironically very similar it was like the the adult grown-up version of the what i was doing version. before yeah. yeah yeah got it and got you it. know the more corporate the more less artistically fun Yeah, the uh, I, I I understand what you mean, and I kind of feel like myself when I say I'm not cut out for that stuff. I kind of feel like I have a weird sense of guilt about it a little bit because I know that like so many other people, that's what most people do, right? Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. Um, yeah, I don't know that that's necessarily warranted, but I definitely feel a little bit. I'm like, man, I can't handle that, and it's like, but so many people do. And so yeah. many people are just, I feel like they're like tougher than me in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, yeah, the people that can withstand it and and just do it every day forever, like I have a lot of respect for them because I, I just couldn't do it. I'm a baby. Well, and some people I know, like a lot of members of my family, they simultaneously, while we're saying that, they're like, oh, you must be really stressed all the time. And I'm like, it must just be like a, a wiring and personality type because for me, I'm I'm weirdly, even though it's technically less stable yeah, or seemingly less stable, I have a weird sense of, I mean, def, don't get me wrong, there are times that are stressful, but I have a lot less stress having that control back 
what was really stressful to me was, you know, the I've complained about this so many times, the listeners probably get tired of it, but putting your vacation a year in advance, you know, like, yeah, can I can I go to this thing? Yes or no? Like, are you going to make it to this birthday party? I have no idea. I might have to work. What do you mean you might have to work? It's three weeks out. And I'm like, I have I that's the way that job goes. I might yeah. have to work. I don't know. And that was much more stressful to me than being like, oh, yeah, there's a thing in three weeks. Let me check. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. I'll put it on the calendar. I'll yeah, move, yeah, totally. I'll move things around, you know? Yeah. One of the things that really bothered me about the job I had was that I was in charge of a lot of these projects. And like nine times out of 10, the way the projects get installed is uh, there's a lot of user error with the installers. Mm-hmm. And then it would usually all fall on me to like, fix everything right and when i first started the the way that that would happen is that i would have to travel out to these places and physically fix things which you know wasn't that bad but then you know starting last year we would just do it all remotely and it was a lot of zoom and facetiming and it was like you know eight o'clock at night i just finished dinner and i'd get like a call from somebody that needed me to like walk them through this really complex process of like programming and stuff. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to worry about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, that sounds very familiar. (laughs) Just got out of the shower. Uh, Oh, why is my phone ringing? Oh, yeah. There's a truck driver stuck up on Burnside that I have to go. Okay. I don't know why I took a shower then, but (laughs) you know, yeah. Yeah. And I, the thing is, like, those jobs are, those jobs are necessary to, for, like, a functioning society. And, and yeah, that's, totally. why that's why I'm kind of feel like that weird sense of, like, ugh, I can't believe I'm complaining about this. But those jobs are 100% necessary for, for us to, you know, have what we have as a part of modern life. Yeah, absolutely. I think inarguably a lot better than what it used to be back in the day (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean you know i'm i'm much happier now like definitely mentally but like also i can just like wake up and like i know all this stuff that i'm going to go do is like stuff that i really want to go do and i'm excited about it so that's i think definitely a much healthier thing what what projects are you most fired up about right now that you can talk about um, well, um, I can't talk about one because it's, it's too secretive, but mm. it's something new that I'm working on. That's all I'll say. All right. And it's very crazy. Well, I'll okay. just say that. I like crazy. Crazy yeah. is good. And then, um, I'm just like, uh, grinding through, like restocking a bunch of stuff that I used to sell that I haven't sold for a while. Mm-hmm. So like, uh like the muffs that I make and the delays and stuff. I'm making those again. And uh, people seem to be excited about that. So that's cool. And uh, I'm doing a a bunch of other stuff too. Like I'm trying to make more YouTube videos. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do my own podcast. Very Um, cool. Yeah. And I'm also getting into like the whole cryptocurrency NFT world of, stupid stuff that people buy for money for no reason. <laughs> yeah, that that I am 
I know just enough about the NFT side of that to be dangerous. I, I still, I understand the basics behind how it works, but what I don't understand is the appeal to the buyer that I still don't get. Yeah, I know. I just, the, the way I think about it now is just that some, there's people out there that got into crypto and it was, you know, really accessible and accumulated a bunch of stuff. And then now it's worth like a buttload. So they're just like, yeah, I'll, I'll spend a bunch of money on this stupid thing just because it's funny. Right. <laughs> is, that, is that, is it really that? That's what I thought it was. Is it really that simple? I think that's what it boils down to. Yeah. Like I'll buy I, I the honestly, first tweet, but like, why? I don't yeah. want the first tweet. What am I going to do with the first tweet? I don't care. Yeah, I honestly don't. I mean, right now I don't see how anything could like accumulate more value. Right. After that. But who knows? Maybe in like 10 years, we'll be having the exact opposite conversation. I definitely understand the collectible nature of things. And I do think that they're, you know, in this digital world we're living in, I do understand that there can be a value placed on non-tangible items. Yeah. I, I, I do understand that. I mean, people have been, I mean, look at some of these video game companies as prime examples. Like, oh, yeah. These companies are worth, you know, millions and millions of dollars, sometimes more. And they're, you know, their entire product line is almost entirely virtual. It's almost entirely IP. Yeah. Uh, and so it's kind of, a, you know, when people are like, well, how can it be value when it doesn't really exist? I'm like, well, it, it does exist, though. Like you, you, you're looking at it, you're experiencing it. That's like yeah. saying this podcast doesn't exist because it's, because it's not physical. Well, yeah, it, exactly. It does. You're experiencing it right now. Yeah. And what if there was a, what if there was a token that represented this episode right now? <laughs> that's kind of hard. Yeah. That's hard to think about, but it's totally possible. And someone was like, oh, I really like Blake. I really like Tom. I want to collect that episode in some weird way. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe in the future that'll be worth something. Or maybe in the future, it it won't even exist anywhere anymore. Right. We don't really know. We don't know. We don't have any idea. And that's what makes it exciting. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So what are you looking to do with it, if you can talk about it? Oh, yeah. So um, I made uh, Tomcat Tokens. And the way that I'm going about it is, so Blake, you know that I make like really cool looking circuit boards, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty familiar. Uh-huh. Okay. So what I did was I took um, 3D models of those circuit boards mm-hmm. and I made those into tokens. So it's a way to collect all the weird different like, you know, rare circuit boards that I've done in the past that maybe didn't even like make it into a pedal, but it was like a prototype or something. Right. So yeah, I've just been making a small batch of those at a time and putting them on uh there's a, there's a platform called OpenSea. I've heard where, of it. You know, yeah. most of the NFTs hang out and talk to each other or whatever. <laughs> Have a cocktail party. Yeah. Whatever, whatever they do. Yeah, so my collection of Tomcat tokens is on there if you, if you just search Tomcat tokens. Or you could even go to my website, and I, I even have a, a menu bar for tokens where you can learn all about them. I'm going to have to check that out later. You've, you've piqued my interest. There you go. See, that's all it takes, right? What is the process for creating a token like? 
Oh, that's a that's a good question. So basically, uh, all of these these NFT sites they either use their own form of currency or mm-hmm. they use um, Ethereum and base all of their transactions on the Ethereum blockchain. Right. Um, so like on, on OpenSea, when you make a token, it costs you money. Okay, like dollar. And yeah, it costs you money in dollars on Ethereum. Okay. And it's just the transaction fee to do the math to make your little token exist on the blockchain. And okay. Okay. that's what's called a uh, a gas fee. They have gas too, just like yeah. gear acquisition syndrome. Wow. Exactly. That. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a, it's it's also in like the same realm of how out of control it can get. Um for example, like if Ethereum is doing really well, the gas fees can be like insanely high like to make a token that i would charge like let's say 25 dollars for it might cost me like 50 dollars to make that oh wow yeah wow. but what's cool about making a token is that you can instill like different rules onto that token that always sort of exist so for example i have a royalty on my token so that anytime they get sold or bought or whatever i get 10 percent of whatever the transaction is. Oh, at any point. So if somebody yeah. else takes it and flips it later for just because yeah. you'll still get a cut. Yeah. And um what's cool about that is that like in every transaction you'll forever see that I am the original creator of that token. Gotcha. Yeah, so it's kind of a way to put like true ownership or like creator ownership copyright onto something um is it is it such a thing or does it happen where maybe something starts out with a small creator and it gets passed around enough times to where it becomes like that person can kind of become sort of notorious or or famous for lack of a better term in those communities does that is that a thing that's happened ever it's it's kind of um i want to say it's kind of too early to really see something like that but what what the most common thing that happens is that someone will create a big collection of weird you know art or gifts or whatever and then they'll get a bunch of people behind it to hype it up and then they'll like put it for sale and then a bunch of people will buy it with the hopes that yes, this at some point, all these people will be like mega huge famous people. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The the guy, why can't I think of his name? The most well-known one that just sold for like 69 million or whatever. What was that guy's name? Uh, People. People. That's the one. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I have heard rumors, and I don't know if any of this is true, that that largely, and I, I'm sorry for, to people and anybody else involved if this is completely false, but this is just what I read, that there was suspicion around that transaction that it was done to artificially inflate the value of Beeple's art. Oh, and I see. That the buyer of that is actually connected to him somehow. Right. Uh, and they're, you know, 
this buyer said that they bought it for 69 million and that was a bargain and that you know that they they publicly stated it's only going to go up and up in price from there and there there's like a lot of little or from what i'm gathering it was just one article but there was a lot of like wait a minute who is this guy yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah i don't necessarily think it's just one entity i think it's definitely like a group of people are you are you familiar with the clubhouse app i am i am i haven't i have it i'm in it i but the one time i tried to use it i i was kind of in a spotty data place and it was not functioning right and i haven't dove back in yet so i gotcha um, yeah I, I don't actually know how it works even though i have it yeah i was uh because you, you when you when you join you can list like different categories of, of subjects that you want to like listen to or whatever and mm-hmm. then it'll recommend stuff so I put in there that I was interested in NFTs and stuff. And so some big collective of people was talking about like um, a big group of art that they dropped with people. And it was like your typical, you know, LA people that never really know how to talk something up, you know, with a lot of fluff and stuff. And they have the cool accent. So they sound really cool, you know, and you just want to support them because they just seem so cool. And so, so that, that's, I, I got the impression that that's like how most of these big selling NFT like groups are, but I don't know, maybe I'm just being cynical about the whole thing. I I mean, I'm definitely a little bit cynical about it. I'm not going to lie. Even though I do think it's cool and has potential. I just, and it's probably because I'm, I'm getting old, a little bit long in the tooth. I'm getting a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of a, uh, little bit of white in my beard these days uh yeah I personally like if 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 i was some mega rich guy even if it was off of you know crypto or whatever else to me like having physical items is so much more interesting you know like that's why i collect vinyl that's why yeah. i like pedals yeah, yeah yeah you know uh and I think the physicality of things is is important to me, and I wonder if that'll become generationally less of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I sadly, I think so. Um, just like I have, I have nieces and stuff, and they're um, luckily they're very smart and they like books and stuff. <laughs> nice, but um, like when when I was trying to get them something for. For Christmas, I was asking my mom, I was like, well, what should I get them? And they're like, oh, well, this one, she wants a a book on American history. And then this other one is really into this, you know, fiction writer. So if you get some books from that, and I was like, okay, all right. It's good that, you know, there's some geniuses being like bred out there. Right, right. I also wonder, and I've talked about this before, too of the cyclical nature of things like for instance guitar is a good example of that i think it's been around for long enough in different forms that i think people you can see cycles with it more or less and i have had this hypothesis for a lot of years that like our generation's kids i think we're about the same age roughly yeah i think so yeah i'm 32 so i think like our generation's kids especially those that kind of came up alongside of, you know, like we, we grew up with like rock music being a thing, like alternative music was 
largely rock based and guitars were a thing. Yeah. And uh, that's what led me to where I am today. And it's such, you know, it's, I definitely have uh, some rose colored glasses on because I'm so deep into the industry at this point. But I can't help but think that some of our children are going to see that and be influenced by it. I don't think there'll be like another grunge or another, you know, Jimi Hendrix moment in the same exact way, but I could definitely see their version of a, of a warp tour thing, you know? Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that wave could, you know, could come back around. Definitely. Um, yeah. Growing up, that was one thing I, was super drawn to with music was the actual physical performance and seeing it Mm -hmm. you know and yeah nowadays it's it's still a physical experience when you go well eventually when you can go to a show and uh you know hear the loud music and stuff but i don't know it's something else when there's people involved more i i'm not i'm trying not to be mean because i i i think that you know the current state of music whatever it is um has its place you know and it's fine that it exists and everything and it's cool but i'm personally just a bigger fan of music that has more interaction with instruments and stuff in a mm-hmm. live sense rather than a produced sense right right it's don't uh, get me wrong it's hard to produce music too in the studio yeah, I mean, live music has definitely been the number one thing that I've missed through all of this, you know? I mean, outside of, like, you know, personal relationships and things like that, like... Yeah. That's starting to come back a little bit, and, and that's that seems more attainable than, you know, going to a hardcore show at this yeah. point, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I can definitely see, you know, we can, we can go over to the, the parents' house, you know? and and all that that's that's right there but i don't know about like moshing with a bunch of sweaty dudes I, and that's one of my <laughs> favorite things to do i love doing that yeah um but let's uh let's talk about cloudy i feel like we'd be okay. remiss if i know this is a like a whoop, sidebar like we're we're going down a different path now but that was a big project for you well, yeah let's, let's talk about that from you know it's conception to where it is now yeah okay well Let's see, back in the day, um, probably like 2015, 2016, um, I started farting around with modular synth stuff. And uh, where I was living in Brooklyn at the time, down the street, there was this really cool store called Control. Mm-hmm. And all they have is synths and, and Eurorack stuff. And the, all the guys that work there and the the people that work there are really, really interesting, really like all different types of like spaces of music and philosophies on music and all this crazy stuff. So I was just really intrigued by the whole world of it. And then I found this brand of modules called Mutable Instruments Mm -hmm. and they make really cool stuff, but they also um, keep it all, keep all of the hardware and software open source um, to basically just inspire like people to, make their own modules and, you know, make different versions of them and stuff, as long as you keep it all open source with whatever you do. So, right. Um, I, I really loved the module called clouds, which is like granular synthesis and 
I think the one thing that people mostly use it for is it just has this really nice reverb on it. <laughs> so you, you buy this really expensive module and it has all these crazy different features and functions, but you just use the one reverb knob. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I got super into that. Uh, I made my own, like put it together from scratch. And uh, then I found this whole world of people that have made their own versions of of clouds and their own firmwares of clouds. And I found this one firmware called Parasites, which um, took all of the modes that clouds had in it um, and kind of expanded on them and, and really like stretched out the capabilities of the module to like, it's, you know, what it could like really totally do. So, I mean, they added a bunch of different modes and stuff, like that cool reverb that everybody likes on it. They broke that out into its own, like, its own whole, like, patch or whatever. So mm -hmm. it's got a bunch of different controls and stuff. So um, I I took that firmware and I decided I'm going to make a guitar pedal out of this because... It's like the one module that I, I want to use the most with the stuff that I'm farting around with, but it's not necessarily all the time like Eurorack stuff or in that environment. So I spent like two years, I think, um, developing my own hardware and integrating everything so that it can work off of, you know, the basic guitar pedal, like power supply and like all the line levels and stuff. And, uh, yeah, after lots and lots of, of trial and error and lots of different like code things that happened and took forever, um, I finally made Cloudy. And uh, it was a pretty cool thing to like finally have come together because I took all these cool things from like, the, you know, the Eurorack world and I took cool stuff that I really liked from Guitar Pedal world, like, you know, like the really cool visuals and i guess like like i really like buttons that light up and stuff things like that and i put it all together and i made like you know i put like really nice buffers on the input and output so the audio quality is really nice and everything and um like i had custom parts made for it like i have these custom little knobs that light up and stuff nice so it was a cu culmination of a bunch of different things that took a long time and a lot of money but it came out pretty cool i think and it seems like people really like it. I've heard lots of love for it. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's a very intimidating pedal because it, it does so much, and there's not that much of like a user interface uh, aside from like blinking lights to tell you what's going on and what mode you're in. Mm -hmm. So it can be very frustrating. I mean, I've experienced that even just like making it, where I don't know what the hell is going on, and I don't know. You know, this sounds like doo-doo, but then, you know, you, you click a couple of buttons and you find some, some cool stuff that's like amazing too at the same time. So, yeah, you know, you've done some interesting things with your line, right? You have things that are just like dead simple. Everyone knows how to use it relatively easy yeah. for you to build and also, also very complicated things. And I don't see a whole lot of other companies or brands make that same kind or create that same kind of spectrum within their product line. Was that intentional or is it just kind of the natural evolution of you 
learning how to do this? I, that's, I think it's just like a, a black and white version of what is going on with my brain, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just keep learning more and more about like cooler, more advanced stuff, I guess. And I'm just like, oh, I need to make this into something. Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of like what I'm working on now, where it's like the next step from that. Is it something? Oh, we already, you can't talk about it. We can't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, can't today. talk about it. The first rule about the next thing is you can't talk about the next yeah, thing. Yeah, there is no next thing. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> what do you mean next thing? What's going on here? So one thing that I've learned, especially from people that have been in and around the industry and myself included to a degree, is that a lot of really cool and fun things tend to happen that's sort of parallel to you know, running your business or creating your content or whatever it is that you're doing in this space. Have you had any unusual experiences or things that really stood out to you that were directly from creating guitar pedals? Um, I don't know. I, I think I just meet a lot of cool people that I don't necessarily think I would ever meet in real life if I didn't do guitar pedals. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, uh, on, on my podcast called Tomcat Talk, um, I interviewed my friend who who's a professional BMX rider. Oh yeah, um, his name is Adam Banton, and uh, he he's like one of my favorite BMX riders because he does all sorts of styles of BMX, and um, I ride BMX as well. And as I get older, I tend to find that the like simpler tricks are the ones that I like the most because there's less chance of me killing myself. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) he makes the simple tricks look really cool. But basically the way that we met was because he bought a guitar pedal from me and uh, he bought a fuzz pedal before like, like he just bought it. And I was like, is this like Adam Banton, like the BMXer Adam Banton? And then, you know, we, talked on Instagram and stuff. And then, you know, we've kind of like maintained a virtual relationship since then. So that's definitely something that I don't think would have happened if I was just, you know, not doing guitar pedal stuff. I did not know that you rode BMX. How did I not know that about you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been doing that since like I was five. Dude, that's so cool. I had no idea. What what do you, what kind of style do you typically ride? Well, when I was growing up, I was super into dirt jumps, you know, um, mm-hmm. where you try and build the biggest dirt jump and then ride as fast as you can to go flying as high as you can. I remember those days. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, <laughs> you know, it's okay if you go flying and you totally hurt yourself because you're a little kid. But um, then when you I bounce, was living... You bounce back. It's yeah. Just, it's easy. Yeah. You literally bounce back. But then when I was living in the city, I was super into just riding street and... Like one of my favorite things to do uh, with some of my buddies is like, you know, like late afternoon during like rush hour, we would ride from like the top of Manhattan to the bottom of Manhattan going down like 7th Avenue mm-hmm. and just completely engulfed by cars and stuff and just trying to keep up with that speed of traffic. That sounds very intense. I yeah. know where where exactly you're talking about too. I'm like, woo. Yeah. 
you know, and then you get to go through like Times Square and stuff and it's, it's cool and there's tons of people and stuff and yeah, that, yeah, that was a, a really, I think if there's anything I miss about the city, it's just little stuff like that. Yeah. But you're not so far away that it's impossible to get the that back. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, there were a lot of times where I was very close to getting hit by cars. And there are there were lots of times where I did get hit by cars. Oh, <laughs> that, well, that might change your perspective a little bit, especially as you get older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've been hit by, I think, three or four cars. Two were like I got pretty messed up, but the other two I was fine. That sounds intense. Usually in the bike versus car war, the car's going to win. Yeah. Yeah. The The last few times that it happened um, where I was okay, the cars just drove off. And even people on the street were just like not even, you know, phased by it at all. I guess it is New York City. That's yeah. not the craziest thing anyone saw that day. Yeah. People got better things to do, you know? <laughs> just uh, he'll let him bleed out. He'll be yeah. all right. Yeah, I think he's moving. He's fine. He's fine. Look at him. He's cool. He's cool. So I I'm I used to be pretty into BMX when I was a kid. And I, I definitely got out of it by the time I was a you know late teenager. But I can't help but like look at the the bikes that I was riding. Actually still have, but I don't really ride it anymore. But the bikes that I was riding versus what the Seems kids have these days? They, yeah, it's yeah. like I had way more crap on my bike than what they have. <laughs> yeah, also also the bikes nowadays weigh like one pound. Really? You know, and like the bikes that I, I know I used to ride were like so heavy. Mine's heavy. I don't, I don't even yeah. know what it weighs. It's this, this Schwinn with all the bells and whistles that you had to have. Yeah, like bikes. you got pegs and stuff, bro. I, pay, I, got, I have the pegs. <laughs> I, got the, I got the Orig. I got the whole thing. Oh, yeah. You got the thing? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I've got all that. (laughs) Because you need that stuff. If you don't have it, you're not legit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I watch, I mean, I still follow a lot of like younger BMXers and stuff that are doing just the craziest stuff and making it look so easy. You know, it's very, very frustrating and deterring if you're an older (laughs) fart trying to do it. It is. I one thing that confuses me more than anything, and this this will tell you, how, oh, you're old, Blake. You don't understand. Is the whole brakeless thing? I'm like, I don't get it. Like, why do you not have brakes? Maybe it's an East Coast thing because I haven't ridden brakes since I was like maybe 11. Really? Yeah. Doesn't that like limit what you can do in some ways? Um, not necessarily. No. Hmm. And I'll tell you what, when you're when you're flying down Seventh Avenue trying to keep up with 25 mile an hour traffic not having brakes is very liberating i'm sure it is (laughs) yeah or if you're if you're flying down the brooklyn bridge on a on a bike path that's shared with a walking path where you have maybe like one and a half feet wide to ride a bike yeah i know the and you're yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and you're flying down it's also very exciting not having brakes exciting yeah hmm. that's one word for it i suppose yeah i have some i have some videos of of me doing these things from like the point of view of my handlebars right i'll have to put them on my youtube channel because it's pretty exciting the stuff that happens i'm sure i'm sure it's very exciting 
Yeah. But yeah, nowadays the things that kids have are, um, so they don't have, uh, like freewheeled sprockets on the back anymore. They have what's called a free coaster. Okay. Which if you know anything about BMX, if you have regular gears, if you're rolling backwards, your pedals are going to pull you back, right? So your yes. feet are going to go in reverse. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's something to get used to if you're riding backwards. But with a free coaster, that doesn't happen. So you can just coast backwards without your legs moving. Okay. I'm used to that. That's what I'm used to. Oh, really? Yeah, that's how my bike is. Okay. Yeah. So so you're with the, the times before they happened? I, I guess. I don't know. That's uh, that's definitely how my bike is. Is I can I I don't ha- my legs don't have to move backwards with the with the pedals. I can just I can just land and go backwards. That's all fine. So like, if like I do, can do that anymore. If you do a one <laughs> if you do a one eighty and you're going in reverse, yeah, I, you it, don't have pedals, to move your legs. I don't got to move my legs. Right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, it has all the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Spared no expense, I guess, right? I don't know. I got it from an older friend. I don't know. (laughs) I had my cheap, like, Kmart or Toys R Us bike that kind of had all the bells and whistles, but it just fell apart. Like, on the smallest of activities, it just, everything snapped. And it was like, the guy got, guy had a really nice Schwinn that was all decked out, and then he got a car and he stopped riding. (laughs) He's like, you want this? And I was like, sure. And and it's what I still I still ride it when I ride a bike to this day. It's held up all right. That's good. But but the one the the other thing other than the brakeless thing, the other thing I I was curious about is the the difference in the gear uh, ratios. The gear ratios. Yep. Yeah. That seems to be a big one. What's the story there? Yeah. So the initial gear ratio was um it was like forty four teeth in the front sprocket, and then like I think fifteen in the rear sprocket. That, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, so they just realized if you just cut those numbers in proportion, uh, you can have a much smaller sprocket and a much smaller freewheel, and you can save a bunch of weight. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, so I think the now the standard is like anywhere from 25 to 30 teeth on the front sprocket and then like 9 to 12 on the back. Yeah, so the ratios more or less the same ratio is, is very similar yeah oh that makes so much more sense now yeah i, I could, probably could have figured that out if i yeah because it's funny it. when you first see it you're like whoa that can't that can't go anywhere when you when you pedal yeah that, that was my thought i was like what is it what, huh i didn't get it but and then also i remember like there were some guys back in the day and i never did this because i i knew that i would break something uh, they would do sprocket slides, and I was like, I don't think that that you can do a sprocket slide on that, but maybe you can. I don't know. Um, yeah, they make they make well. That's the other thing too is they make everything much stronger now, and oh, like sure. a lot of stuff is like titanium now, so super super expensive, super super light, and super strong. So yeah, you can do sprocket grinds all day. They use different chains now. Gotcha. The chains are called like half link chains, so. The links are like half as long, so they're stronger and they can handle stuff like sprocket grinds. Oh, gotcha, because they're physically shorter, so it's stiffer material. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. 
all these things. You've you've answered all my questions about there you go, modern, man. modern day BMX. I now I don't wonder anymore. That's all my <laughs> questions. Everything else I could figure out. I'm like, okay, I can see how that frame's different. Yeah, I can see how like I I can wrap my brain around this. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's the kind of gear everyone was turn, tuning in to hear about. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. You still playing drums? Um, let's see. I haven't played drums in a couple of years. I was playing drums with my friends. Um, they have the Instagram and YouTube channel Data Choir. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was playing drums for them for a while, and it was really fun. We played a couple of shows, uh, did the thing, and uh, yeah, then I moved. So I haven't really done much music-wise since I moved. Are they still in Brooklyn? They are, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're still in Brooklyn. They still make tons and tons of music together. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, speaking of tons of music, uh, I I don't remember if I told you. Maybe I tagged you on Insta- Instagram. I can't remember. But uh, the Green Muffer that we did together back in the day. Yep. That was an uh, instrumental part, no pun intended, to uh, the longest track that I did on my record I just made. And which track? Uh is it in the middle? It's in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like nine minutes long or something. Yeah, I listened to that the other day. Thanks, dude. It's good stuff, man. I appreciate it. It's, it reminds me of like, you know, uh explosions in the sky. Yeah, I've been getting that quite a bit, which I up until people started making that comparison hadn't really listened to all that much. So yeah. And once I did, I was like, oh, wow, people think it sounds like that. That's cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, cool. I mean, it's also, you know, it's very much, uh, you can tell that you know, like you're exploring stuff, you know, which is great. Yeah, that that piece in particular, I mean, the, the Green Muffers first in the chain, followed by a bunch of other stuff. But that piece was, that was all in the moment. And it probably sounds like it, you know, that was just like, I was like, I'm going to turn the mics on. I'd been playing for a little bit. Like I'd I'd been playing for maybe 20 minutes or so with that same setup. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm thinking, I think I like where this is going. And I just turned the microphones on, fired up my session, got everything going. And I'm like, record. And then that's what came out. And I didn't, didn't really mess with it much in the mix. Even I did a little bit of just like evening things out here and there. And then I, I play a lot with panning, but for the most part, that's just, that's just how it happened. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty, it's pretty good, man. It's a good exploration of, of sounds. And it also, it just works, you know? Thank you, man. Yeah. I don't know where it's coming from. This is not like stuff I listen to. That's the weird part. That's good. I don't know what's going to come next, but I'm like trying to work with, like that got me really excited about making music again. And I want to, I want to do a bunch of collaborations. So I think the next record I do, I want to do it like a hundred percent, like each song. I don't know if I'll do, I probably won't do like some sort of big weird concept like that was, but I want to do like each song is with somebody. And I've already got one in the can that I'm really happy with. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I just want to. It got me all hyped up to to make music again, and that's that good. I think was a, that's a big part of it. I just yeah, that's to definitely something that 
I think a lot of people are struggling with the past year really is kind of getting burnt out on what they're doing. Yeah. You know, creatively, whether it's music or anything else, really. So it's really awesome when you when you can find that whatever it is moment that kind of like, you know, kicks you in the butt again. Mm -hmm. I think I think uh, for me, it was a lot of like there's some amount of it that was kind of guilt. Uh, And like I was like, you have all this gear. (laughs) And you just kind of noodle around by yourself. And nobody else hears it. And, uh, and and then a lot of the guests I had on late last year and, and early in 2021, it was like, oh man, these people are making stuff. And, you know, and then like talking to people, I had a guy on, it was after the record came out, but it like kind of re reaffirmed his name's Ned Arb and he's in a, like a screamo band called every time or not called if I die first. Uh, and not every time I die. Not every time I die. <laughs> I have been trying to get Andy on for years, but we'll make that happen one day. Anyway, <laughs> if I die first, and that's how I got familiar with him. But turns out, like after I did a little bit of research, after he already agreed to come on the show, like he was a producer or is a producer rather, but and he did a lot of work for with Lil Peep, who was huge, oh. huge, huge, and like Nedarb was like doing all the beats for him for a long time. And, uh, and when he was, when I was talking to him, he was like, yeah, man, he's like everything, like all of the biggest things that I've done were done with my laptop and free VSTs. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, that's not any less valid than going into a studio, like a really nice studio and recording like a full blown, like rock record. Like it's still yeah, it's still inspiring to some people, you know, millions of people have listened to it, you know, yeah, like, you can make the biggest record in the world from your bedroom. Now you should, you should try to do it if you can. Yeah. I've also watched some videos of people, you know, that have good knowledge of, of plugins and stuff. And I mean, knowing your way around that and like how to patch it all and chain it all together is, is a skill in itself, I think. Right. Yeah, and it take comes from you know just getting in doing there it. and doing it. Yeah, 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 totally. Just like anything, right? Yeah. Um, man, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we're getting kind of close to the end of the episode, and I know we have some some things to talk about to wrap this thing up. But before we get into those final questions, uh, you have anything to plug? You have anything you want to talk about? Anything you want to let people know about? Um, I don't know. There's a, we mentioned the Tomcat tokens already. Yep. Um, the one thing that I'm kind of excited about with that whole thing is the future of it in terms of tying together this weird digital thing with actual tangible things that you can physically collect. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's say, for example, this is just a hypothetical example. I decided to do let's say another collaboration with you, right? Mm -hmm. And I make only one of them and only one exists. But then in tandem with that, I make a token of that pedals circuit board, let's say, right? Okay. And then I put that token for sale on the marketplace for like whatever, you know, average pedal cost is. And then someone could buy it 
And they have the option to either hold on to the token or they can cash in the token for that actual, you know, special one-off guitar pedal that exists in real life. Mm, that could be fun. And then if they do cash it in, then the, the digital token or whatever um, is destroyed, so it doesn't exist anymore. And then you just have the the physical pedal. But if you don't want to cash it in, let's say people, you know, start buying that token from each other and like the price could go up like to some crazy high amount. So then like, let's say the price is super high and then someone cashes in that, that um, token for the pedal, you know, it's like, do you want to hold on to the digital asset that's worth more than the actual physical thing? Or do you just want the physical thing? So it's a weird thing that I think, you know, could have some sort of tangible um, form in the future. That is an interesting concept. So like, I could see that working, right? If you made some, some bonkers design, you know, yep, and there was only, you know, maybe say, I don't know, five hypothetically physical yeah. ones in the, in the, in the world outside of the digital token version. Yeah. Depending on how cool of a pedal you made and how, like, and what people were, probably more importantly even, is what people were able to do with it. Then, yeah. in theory, not only could the token uh, go up and up and up, but so could the the very limited amount of, of physical ones that exist. And it's right. kind of interesting to think that like, okay, say hypothetically the physical ones get traded around and the token, I, I would think the token buyers or owners would, would hold, you know what I mean? I think like you just kind of hold and see what the physical ones did. And then at some point, you know, you, you, you could probably like do a one for one exchange of some sort. If that makes yeah. sense. It's like, oh, this pedal this pedal is selling for clon levels now. I just you know, just hypothetically speaking. Right. Uh, and then you could okay, I'm gonna cash my token in now. <laughs> yeah. Or let's say, you know, you have a pedal out there that has like limited limited quantity or whatever, and then you make a special version of it, let's say, or like a special one off color scheme or something. Mm-hmm. And then that special one-off one will get a corresponding token as well. Right. And the only way to actually get that one-off cool color is if you have the token and you buy it and you want to trade it in for the actual thing. Mm-hmm. And so with tokens, I, so since I'm not as, as familiar as you are, so with the token, when you say like cash it in, does that mean you ca- would have to cash it in with you specifically? Is that how that would work? Or? Um, yeah, I believe so. There's that's like where things are getting weird right now is like coming up with these rules and stuff. Um, because the the way that this all happens is you have to write in like code form. You have to make a contract that has mm-hmm. all these stipulations and stuff in it. Um, so that's like the challenging part right now is is trying to make that whole process easier to do to make this idea that I have like an actual reality. Right. But yeah, that's something that would be ironed out. That's cool. That's a cool concept. It could be fun. It could be fun yeah. to play with. And the thing is, like, it's, let's say somebody, you know, it's like if you consider a reverb flip, someone's 
buys a pedal for $400 and then they try and sell it for like $1,000. You know, the original, oh, like creator of that pedal <clears throat> isn't getting a percentage of that flip. Right. But if you have a token and every sale, the original creator is getting like 10 to 20% of every sale, you know, then the owner, the original owner can, you know, still capitalize on any sort of flip in the future. You know, what might be even more interesting, uh, the way I'm not, let me think if I can flesh this out. So what if, again, we go back to that. You did, you did this one off a really super limited crazy thing with corresponding tokens, right? Right. Is there a way that the, the token could be traded and so somebody could sell it to somebody else and then the holder of that token could somehow get with you i'm i'm this is i'm really reaching beyond what i understand about this stuff so sorry yeah. for everyone no, hearing no, it's my thoughts it's it's a, it's a new thing so it's so like is is there a way that the holder of the token could actually reach out to the company and be like hey i'm the new owner of this and here's the verification details, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I want, you know, I want that that pedal. I want you to make me one of those, for instance. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, cool. It's, you know, you charge them, you know, whatever you want to charge them or don't charge them or however it works because you are getting a cut of each of these. And not you'd have to kind of work out the math, but figure out yeah. the, the arrangement. And then they could then sell it to somebody else. And then the holder of the token could actually get a hold of the physical pedal without actually cashing it in and destroying the token. And it could be traded kind of forever that way. But that was the only way to get other, you know, the next serial number was you have to hold it and you only get one. And then it has to go to somebody else in order to, I don't know, is that something that could work? Um. Yeah, I think that's something that, you know, could be could be made as like rules or or stipulations or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's <clears throat> to me, it's like uh, I don't know. It's it's like so. For example, are, are you a fan of basketball at all, Blake? I, I'm a fan of the Portland Trail Blazers. Okay, there you go. So, um, so the Portland the, Trail Blazers. <laughs> the uh, the NBA is has their own token thing right now called NBA Top Shot. Okay. Where they take different plays that players have uh, and they take video clips of them and they um, call these clips moments. Mm -hmm. And you can buy packs of these moments and you can, you know, buy and sell these moments on this specific marketplace that only exists on this NBA Top Shot website. And um, one thing that they do that is kind of cool is they'll make you like they'll put out a pack of like let's say an all-star game pack mm -hmm. and then if you get like in that pack you get a bunch of different cards or moments but at least one of them will be this all-star player or whatever and if you want to get an even more rare moment what you do is you collect all of the all-star moments from that pack that are like on a list as a challenge, let's say. So I have to, you know, 
get 10 different players moments and buy them and have them. And then if I have all of them, I get access to this super rare moment. Okay. 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 And I mean, right now everybody's kind of doing that because these moments have like a crazy amount of value, like uh, a LeBron moment sold for like $210,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's some crazy stuff going on with that. But I think in, let's say, guitar pedal world, um, let's say a bunch of people, you know, also start doing a similar thing here where, you know, they have their own tokens for their own pedals or whatever. And then let's say if you collect a certain amount and you put them together, you can have like something that equals, you know, a super rare thing in real life. Or another thing is, let's say you have a Tomcat like fuzz token and a delay token and you can combine them and you'll get like a fuzz delay token and then maybe in the future you could trade that in for an actual like special edition pedal or something. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a whole crazy world of stuff that could possibly happen. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting too, because it's something that it's, it's, it's like a digital version of things that happen in the physical world, which is yeah. kind of interesting. Like, cause people could like have a, you know, like a promissory note, you know, like this note guarantees you one, you know, bushel of apples you know, right. at, at this store between this time and this time. And then if you show up with that thing, they're like, okay, here's your bushel of apples. Like it's kind of a, a, a new school reimagining of an old school concept in a lot. Of right. Ways. Yeah. I mean, isn't that kind of, I mean, you could say that's like the whole idea of, of cryptocurrency is a reimagining of of actual physical money, which comes from way back in the day where everything was like, you know, everything was valued against gold, you know? And then like, well, if no one wants to carry like this heavy gold around, let's make some sort of money that's easier to trade that has value in terms of like what it would be worth in gold, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's like a, um, you know, it's a next gen revamp of an old concept. One of the things too that I've heard, you know, brought up as a negative against some of the things, and I was actually really happy to see that uh, some of this is starting to be rectified. Is the this is getting into a whole another bag of things that I don't really have much qualification to talk about, but I guess that's never stopped me before. Is the uh, environmental impacts? of some of these things is pretty high, I guess, from just like the sheer amount of computers that has to run. Yeah. But but I actually was just seeing a thing specifically based on Ethereum 2.0 that was saying that that is going to be like they're redoing the whole concept, I guess. And, and uh, it's going to be significantly reduced, I, I guess, which is good because that's alleviating one of the main concerns people have, I think. Yeah, it's... it's um. I've seen, I've read a lot of those sort of studies of, you know, what is the environmental impact or what is the energy consumption of, you know, keeping all of these currencies like afloat? Because it's all just math happening, right? On computers. Right. Verifying these transactions and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, 
the technology to make it happen keeps getting better and better, right? And then the actual like algorithms and physical or not physical, but software side of things, they're also redoing constantly to try and get that simpler and to use less energy. So I think it's definitely like not necessarily the biggest issue with the whole thing, but I think it's definitely something that is physically being rectified, like, you know, now and over the next whatever years in the future that it might, it might work its way down to being, okay, this is much easier than paying with my credit card. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think there are enough people that care about this. And I think there are enough people that are working on it, that that is almost certainly the reality. doesn't seem like it could go any other way. Yeah. That's my theory anyway. Yeah. And it's the future, man. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> don't you guys understand this blockchain technology, man? You don't get it. Yeah. It's not about the, it, the Bitcoin. It's about the blockchain, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I wish I was one of those people that, because <clears throat> like when, when Bitcoin first started, you know, coming around, I had friends that were in that sort of computer field and they had told me about it, but I totally laughed in their face about it back then. Uh-huh. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I, I should have just been a much cooler dude and I would have been like a bazillionaire now. Yeah. We'd be having a different conversation. We'd be doing this on your yacht. Exactly. Be hanging out and just sipping on, I don't know, margaritas, and I don't know what else we'd be doing, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, well, we'd be we'd be like sailing, probably. So probably well, like we wouldn't be sailing and stuff, right? Like, well, we wouldn't be sailing. We'd have people sailing for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'd, there'd we'd be, be all sorts of entertainment available. <laughs> well, dude, I'd, I'd make sure that there was a Nintendo Switch or something. You know. Yeah, we'd figure it out, right? Yeah. It'd be it'd be groovy. Well, man, thanks so much for coming back on. Um we are just over that hour mark and uh, I have a couple questions I want to get into and then we'll wrap this thing up. What do you say? Cool. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. The first one is a new question since you last came on the podcast, and that is what is your favorite boss pedal? My favorite boss pedal. Um, I think it's the RV three. Okay, is a reverb. Mm-hmm. Had like uh, I think it had like a reverse reverb on it. Did the RV three have a reverse? I didn't know that. Or RV five, RV three. I don't know whichever one had the reverse reverb. Let's find out. Let's see real quick. Boss reverse reverb. There's somebody screaming right now. It's the RV blah blah. It's the six. The six is what I what. Oh, what I was way like. off. Yeah, you were so far off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not like there's only so few boss pedals that you could confuse it with, right? Yeah, I don't know how you could possibly get that mixed up. Yeah, how dare you? How dare you? And uh, I guess final question. I'll be honest. I don't remember what your original answer was because it was so long ago. But uh, pizza. What's your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, man. Jeez. Uh, Let's see. I have um, I have a couple. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan lately of, like, the grandma-style pizza. Mm-hmm. 
So we're talking like some thick, soft crust with crap ton of like garlicky sauce on there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like some some uh, real nice fresh mozzarella on top of that. Sounds pretty nice. Not gonna yeah. lie. Either that or just like a really nice thin crust cheese slice. And you're right in the the area for it too, man. Oh yeah, I love a good cheese slice. It's so satisfying. Yeah, you know, I think forever a slice of cheese with like a Coke is going to be like the best thing in the world. It's hard to go wrong, right? It's just, wow, man, I'm hungry now. Yeah, and just throw an N64 in there or something. That's right. <laughs> Playing Golden Eye till the break of yeah. dawn. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. This was, this was awesome. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much, Blake. I really enjoyed it. Of course. All right, everybody. For Tom, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, there you have it. That is it for this conversation. We wrapped it up, put a little bow on it, and put it under the Christmas tree. Or whatever. I don't know. But if you'd like more, there is a place you can go get more episodes and help support the podcast. And that is Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash tonemob. And for five bucks a month, you can get extra episodes streamed directly to your ears every week, including more with my buddy Tom. There's a ton of content over there. I don't even know how many hours of extra content you would have access to at this point. I stopped counting, but it's a lot. There is a lot of extra content, and it's just for patrons. And uh, if you go right now, there's actually a sneak peek for a pretty excellent episode right there as well. So I'll just leave it at that. And thank you to the patrons. They help make this thing possible. I really appreciate you just downloading. Seriously, just the simple act of listening means the world. You could be doing so many other things right now, and the fact that you're choosing to spend your time with me even these last few minutes really means a lot. So thank you. Please tell a friend, and I'll talk to you very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you, that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. 
I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I cannot be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.